Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff-side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer. We are your hosts. I'm Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. And thanks for coming back and listening again. And we are speaking again today with our favorite Central Illinois NILA lawyer, Athena Herman, who is kind enough to come back and give us a second round of an interview with her time. Athena is the founder of Athena Herman Law, LLC. Um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to her first episode with a little bit more details on her bio or to check out her website, which we will put in the show notes and she'll tell at the end again. Just to say briefly, Athena's had a really successful career with some really impressive jury verdicts in the central Illinois area. She was also a national speech champion at Bradley University, and her husband also served the U.S. Army in Iraq. Athena, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Last time we talked about your employment law practice, some of these really impressive verdicts you have, and just generally about what it's like to practice in central Illinois relative to to those folks who, like us, who rarely get outside of the city confines. We wanted to today talk a little bit about your story and your career holistically. So let's let's start with the thing that I biffed just a second ago. In college, you were a national speech champion. So I say those were my glory days, but I was really fortunate. I was a member of the Bradley University speech team in college. It's a team that has a long historical record of tremendous success in a program I was really proud to be a part of. I was even more fortunate to my freshman year at Bradley, I won the national championship in persuasive speaking, which was a big deal for a freshman. I think it was a big deal for anybody, but particularly as a freshman. And it really helped to define who I was or who others thought I was. And so now there was this thought that I'm this you know, persuasive speaking national champion. It was it was great. And even before that, in high school, I had done uh, debate, competitive debate. And those two things together, speech and debate, even more so speech, um, really informed almost all the skills I use as a lawyer. That's I mean, winning um, a national championship as a freshman is super impressive. That's really awesome. I did debate in high school and college, and I agree with you. I think it really does advance someone's career as an attorney. Yeah, between it, you know, people ask, why did I become a lawyer? And I said, well, in college, the things I was good at was research, writing, arguing, and speaking. I don't know what else I'm qualified to be other than a lawyer. Yeah, I've been using Lexus since uh, freshman year of high school. So legal research then is not a new thing to be doing. How do you think then speech and being a national champion of speech helps you then with your tremendously large jury verdicts? I think that has really helped me in connecting with the jury, in understanding how to assess your audience and and try to connect with them on a technical skills level. I know I've given literally 
thousands of speeches, some of them memorized, some of them extemporaneously. So I think just practice. I have had more practice speaking in front of groups than uh, I think probably anybody, unless you also did speech and debate in both high school and college or do that otherwise as, as a profession. So I just have a lot of experience. And I do think that particularly openings and closings matter. I know conventional wisdom. I, I have attended many a CLE where they tell me everything, it's all about the opening. People are making up their minds right away and the closing doesn't matter. They've already made up their mind by the time they get to closing. And I disagree. With I think in my cases, yes, of course, openings are important to define the debate and all that good stuff. But I think closings have been extremely important to explain to them how to bring the evidence together. And when you're talking about discrimination and motivation and why people do what they do and what has happened and what does the evidence suggest, that's all closing. And I have had multiple jury members contact me after a trial and tell me it was all about the closing. Well, wow. uh, you, you mentioned earlier, I think it might not have been when we were recording, but you would listen to David Lee's podcast and he talks about his cross-examination skills too. Do you think speech and debate helps you in that context as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, literally, I, the, the practice over and over in, in debate of question and answer and in speech, speech, there's multiple categories of speech competition and one of them is impromptu speaking and another one is extemporaneous speaking so it really helped with learning how to adapt and quickly put it together on your feet and to quickly organize your thoughts i love rebuttal arguments for that reason and and I think a lot of attorneys get too tied to their preconceived notions of what their argument is going to be, and then something happens, and it changes, and they can't adapt. You go pretty quickly from being a speech champion in college, then to practicing at Benassi and Benassi. And you, on our last episode, you talked about some cases you worked on early in your career that seemed to give you some awesome experience. Really, absolutely. I was so, so fortunate. I mean, the, as an intern, the first case I was exposed to was the, the Sema Mitsubishi case, a uh, sexual harassment case out, out of Bloomington. Patricia Benassi, my mentor, was the lead counsel on that. And when that case got so big um, at that time, she started, she co-counseled with, I think, something to the effect of the like five prior NILA presidents of the national organization. Wow. So we went, so there I was, an absolute newbie, getting to hear the thoughts of Marianne Today and George Garrison, or uh, pardon, pardon, I'm getting some of these names wrong. It was, it's been a while, but really, really great lawyers. I That's got to work with early on and see how they operate. That's such a cool experience. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the case, can you give us just like a quick summary of the allegations? Yes, it was extreme and egregious 
sexual harassment in its most traditional sense that was occurring at, at the time the plant was built, it was called Diamond Star. It was a joint operation between Mitsubishi and an American car company that started as Diamond Star. It eventually, the name and evolution of it, it becomes Mitsubishi. We represented many individual plaintiffs. And then the EEOC came in uh, to represent. And so that there was a, a tight relationship there. And I think at the time that it was resolved, it was one of the biggest sexual harassment lawsuits that there had been in the nation. Patricia got to do neat things like go on 60 Minutes and, and, and all kinds of national attention. That's such a cool experience. And, I think and that was my first one. It was That's amazing. How, how could I not be hooked? Well, and then two years later, you got to work on that case against the DCFS, right? Yes. That, and, and again, it was so great. There I was, a new lawyer who was able to be on the trial team of a very mature case which was really complicated. I'll never forget. It was a three-day-long jury instruction conference. Wow. And it was tremendous. It was, it was a great, great experience. It was great to see these more seasoned uh, attorneys practice. But because we had such a small team, I also got to do things, which was great as well. I think there's a lot of attorneys who don't get to participate meaningfully in such big, important trials until much further in their career. Within two years of your career, you've worked on a case that's on 60 Minutes and another case that results in a $4.9 million verdict. That's incredible experience that early in your career. It really was. And then just shortly after that, we had, now I say shortly, a few couple of years, we had a trial against Caterpillar, the David versus Caterpillar. And as far as we know, or at least Caterpillar likes to uh, whine about it a little bit, that it was the first case that they lost in trial in, in Peoria. And it was uh, pretty big. It caught a lot of headlines at the time. And I really enjoyed that success uh, very much. We had desperately tried to resolve it for peanuts ahead of time. And literally we're told we never settled because we don't lose. And you, you beat them twice, right? You had a second case yeah. against Caterpillar? Yeah, we did. Was many years later, we had another case, which was a retaliatory discharge case in state court. So there were very different experiences. The first one was gender discrimination and retaliation under Title VII in federal court. That was David versus Caterpillar. And then many years later, we had Albright versus Caterpillar in state court, which was a retaliatory discharge case for workers' comp retaliation. And we won that one from 1.76 million on that one. So how did you end up focusing on employment law? Was that just um, what Benassi and Benassi was mostly doing, or did you just prefer that route? I fell into it. I didn't know. Let me back up on the Benassi and Benassi relationship. August Benassi was Lou and Patricia Benassi's son and was on the speech team with me at Bradley. And I said, you know, I want to go to law school. I want to be a lawyer. And he says, my mom's a lawyer. Why don't you talk to her? 
And I really had no idea what I wanted, what area of law or anything I wanted to do. But they gave me a chance, gave me exposure, and I was hooked. After that summer internship, I tried working at a defense firm, a big defense firm up in Chicago to make sure kind of, was this really what I wanted or is it just employment law? I doesn't need to be plaintiff side. How do I feel about that? And I was not much a fan of, of doing the big law defense work. And so I came back home to where I started and I am literally in the same office right now practicing that my butt started in about 25 years ago. Good for So I want to back up a second. You're your husband is in the U.S. Army. He serves in Iraq. Was that contemporary? He was. He was. Right. Uh, yeah. that, that what, this is our, our kind of story is that actually he was um, the runner at the law firm as well as... At Benassi? Uh, yes, at Benassi and Benassi, as well as a member of the Bradley speech team when he and I first met. Uh, Bradley speech team is responsible for your marriage and your career? Yes, largely. That's very and, cool. Uh, so we, Josh and I got married in 2003. And literally three days after we got married at the courthouse, he was called to active service in Iraq. He had been in the reserves. And so he was gone for about the next 18 months. Uh. And then when he returned from law school of returned from Iraq is when he went to law school. He had not been to law school before that. So he came back from Iraq. He went to law school. While he was in law school, we had our first child and it's been off to the races since then. I sometimes tell people that our life should be called two attorneys, two kids, too much. (laughs) I love that. Does he do employment law too? Yes, some, but in a specific context. In fact, he does defense work. He represents various municipalities, government entities, and school districts. So, of course, we have to keep close eye on conflict. Our running joke with our friends is that he is the man and I fight the man. (laughs) So that's a... Although he also, he likes to say that if he does his job correctly... He will make sure that the employers do the right thing so that they never need to see me. Well, that's a funny line because it's sort of the thing that I kind of joke about with some of the defense counsel I'm friendly with when I say, oh, so you're, you know, you're beating up on the little guy again. And they say, oh, and you're shaking down these honest, hardworking job creators again. And I mean, the joke is kind of right. Like if they do their jobs properly, they give the right. I mean. To be fair, it, it almost has less to do with them than a client who's inclined to listen to what their lawyers say and maybe uh, follow guidance, right? But if the defense bar does their job, it's sort of like criminal defense work. If the police do their job correct- correctly, usually there's not much you can do. It's only when people make a mistake, right, that that somebody like us can can fix it. If my, rela- my legal relationship with my <laughs> husband has been great because we can come home and talk to each other about perspectives and and he can help really when I'm befuddled as to why how you know to me this is stupidity and he explains his his, on his end his client difficulties sometimes and the 
other either bureaucratic or governmental, either way, difficulties and challenges. And I think we make each other better lawyers by giving each other that perspective. Yeah, I think that's incredibly valuable. And sometimes I tell I tell him and he goes, nope, they just screwed up. <laughs> so it, it sounds like a Banassi and Banassi, you definitely learned how to become an attorney and a good at trial attorney. Did you learn about how to run a business there as well? Or you just, because at some point you, you run your own shop. So I'm trying to figure yeah, out where you well, got that from. The Banassi and Banassi, it was such a great experience. The business model there was that Lou Banassi, it was Banassi and Banassi, Lou Banassi, Patricia's wife, who did family law, med mal, workers comp, that kind of stuff. And so it was a great business dynamic because what he was able to do is do meat and potatoes law to bring in money, smaller money in the short term over and over, which sustained us to allow Patricia and I to take the big hits uh, and the big swings. Patricia stopped actively practicing a, a number of years ago, and I continued with Benassi and Benassi, uh, but being the only lawyer in the firm doing employment law. But Lou continued to practice for a while. Lou is now winding up his practice. And so he, so it was time for me to blossom into my own individual firm. I'm still trying to find now because I, I have an associate, but he does employment law along just along with me. So we don't have the same business dynamic of somebody doing another kind of law that's bringing in the, the money that can sustain you for a while. So I'm still figuring it out, honestly, but I am committed. I, I tell people I don't want to learn any new area of law. Uh, this is my lane and that's where I'm sticking to it. You said in your first podcast with us that you try to be really selective because of where you practice, because it's a small bar, because you really need to be able to make credible threats that you're going to carry through. Do you find, you know, it's interesting. We, we get to see everybody's practices different. Everybody's got a different model. Some people are more volume driven. Some are, are like what you're describing. You're taking big swings. Some kind of try to toe a line. Do you find that the quick hit it's famous last words because anything anybody ever thinks is easy or small in our line of work is crazy and it usually ends up being a boondoggle. But do you find that to be possible to do while you're being very selective and taking on these maybe bigger fights that you can do the quicker hit down here? Or is that harder given the geography of where you are? Well, you know, there are opportunities for what I call low hanging fruit. Right. There are enough employers who just step in it and and I can get relatively quick but those are generally lower value of course uh, usually if it's going to be you know bigger money they're going to fight me for a while but I also spend quite a bit of time negotiating severance agreements related to employment claims you know and it always kinds so of I have on multiple occasions consulted with people who were opposing counsel against me on, at, at one point or another. It's just a relatively small community, but it has been fruitful for me to work on those matters along with litigation. I, I, I do a pretty good job of, of pulling you in different directions. No, honestly, oh, no, it's, 
No, you're great. My my kid woke up at about 4.45, 1.45, and then she woke up again last night at about between 6 and 7.30. I slept on the floor of her room because it, my, it was my wife's turn to sleep in, and I didn't want to keep getting up and waking her with the monitor, so I figured just easier for me to kind of hang out in this. In Is this she all right? Yeah, Are she's you? fine. She just, okay. uh, her room gets a little chilly and she just gets fussy overnight. It's just, okay. she's fine. Thank, thank you for asking. Uh, be, being a working, I, I'll tell you this story just because it, it cracks me up. Uh, as a working parent who, you know, my kids are, are now 11 and almost 15. But I remember when, you know, they, the, the very young and toddler stage where you're trying to be a, a practicing lawyer. And I got the call from daycare that the kid was sick and I needed to come pick her up right away. This is on the same day that a big brief was due. It was due in hours. This had to happen. I had to finish it. So I have my assistant <laughs> ran to the daycare, picked up my daughter, oh my brought her back to the office where she sat on my lap while I continued to quickly try to finish the brief and then vomited all over the keyboard. Wow. <laughs> oh no, that's that's amazing but horrible. Yeah. Uh, it's hard, but so I say say the, the the working mom or working parent uh, was really wow. on display there. I, I we but we do what we have to do, right? I go a thousand percent. I hope we can actually, I hope you're comfortable with us including that story because I actually really can like we? that. Uh, can we yeah. do that? Okay, great. Because yeah. that's yeah, a good absolutely. story. So now it I remember. To, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead on that. I was, you, that was a bad joke. I was going to say it goes back to your slogan two parents, two attorneys, too much. Yeah. yeah. So my partner and I have a theory that it's often it's often preferable to deal with a big, well-organized company and employer because in theory, they understand it's a little bit less personal and they understand in principle when they make a mistake, they step in it and it's just a business decision to fix it, right? Now, obviously, if you have an employer, the comp folks that I talk to always used to say Walmart had the old adage of they'll spend, they'll pay their lawyers 10 not to, they'll spend 10 on their lawyers not to pay their employees five. And obviously, you know, you talked about a Caterpillar, John Deere never settles because we don't lose and all that. But our, you know, my partner and I have this theory that in theory, these bigger companies are easier to deal with than the little ones because the, the money may be less tight. They understand it's less personal. Do you find that to be the case downstate as well, where you're at, that you can you can work with those those folks better in those scenarios? Because you said sometimes the employers will screw up. There's low hanging fruit. But for it to be low hanging fruit, they sort of have to recognize that they that they stepped in it. You know, I, I, it's a mixed bag. I have had uh, too many, I think, take exactly the approach where we'd rather spend a million dollars in defense. And of course, my goal is hopefully after they do that one, we won't face that again. So I don't know. It's a mixed bag. Some, some really will fight. You know, I, I, I'll give an example. This, the city of Peoria, uh, I have fought and fought and fought and fought. And sometimes I am I am wrestling to the ground and in the mud over things that I think are, are easy. And sometimes they will fix it. I, I really, I wish I could say that I have some kind of consistent response from employers, but I really don't. Well, the, the, so I know it's you and an associate dealing with your employment practice and my sense is a lot, of, you know, you benefit a lot from kind of what you said earlier from great case selection, pre-litigation investigations, but what advice do you have to attorneys who are kind of in your situation, smaller, a couple of attorneys want to go against the big companies are going to be going to a jury trial. 
you have any advice for attorneys in those situations? Reaching out to other resources. I have never, ever done a trial all by myself. It is always a, a, a team. And there's reaching out to attorneys in other firms for that. I, I know Josie Raymond, I have co-counseled several cases with George Galen, but it, co-counseling sometimes only you know that I do it all by myself up until the time of trial and then at trial they come in or shortly before trial or at some point when it when it blows up but that it is worth it to bring in that extra help and not to be ashamed to ask for it you know as we all know that's the greatest thing that Neela gives us is multiple brains to pick and really hands to help when you need and one of my kind of themes has been I will never be outworked and so whether it's me pulling an all-nighter although the older I get the less I want to do that and the more associates <laughs> I want to hire right or or bringing in really really talented Neela lawyers to help me but doing it as a team is the way to do it and then just having guts and giving it a try you know just being brave I think that's really good advice. If you had it all to do all over again, I guess one last sort of big question for you. If you could do it all over again, anything you'd change about how you got to this point in your career, the way the way you, you did the employment law practice, anything like that? Sounds like you've done pretty well for yourself. So the answer can, can be no. <laughs> I think that's a really great question. I think I wish I would have been braver sooner in terms of conceiving of myself as, as, as practicing by myself. Because even when I was literally the only lawyer at Benassi and Benassi doing it, I was still thinking of myself as, as needing this, this bigger firm, even though I was by my, doing it by myself, you know, Patricia had retired. And that made me squeamish about jumping out on my own. And I wish I had been a little, I, I'm very happy with my career and, and could not be more fortunate to have been you know, raised under the firm and the people that I was. But I think I should have been braver earlier. That's so hard. I mean, that's, it sounds like you were pretty brave pretty quickly. Yeah. Cause there's, I get that there's so much to being on your own. It's not just running the employment law practice and doing the day to day, but now you're a bookkeeper. Now you have to do hirings. You have to do, you're running a business. It's just different. And it's not just that. It's like you, you can screw up so many ways in law and early in your career, you yeah. just step in it constantly unless somebody sort of sways you away from it. And it's like, it's kind of hard for me anyway, it was sort of hard to notice when it kind of stopped going that way and it started to be smoother. It almost happened so gradually you kind of don't, for me anyway, it didn't, it didn't like click at some point. It just sort of happened over time. So it's like, how do you know when you're ready? You never know. And I, I kind of took pride as myself of myself as the nerdy lawyer. I just want to be a lawyer. I just want to litigate or, or research right do my stuff administration is was something i had no interest in whatsoever and maybe that is something i would advise is earlier on paying more attention to the administration because that's a steep learning curve for sure 
you know, I have a similar mindset. So maybe it's just the, the debaters in us. And you figure out that everybody can write a brief. Well, actually not everybody, but most of us can write a brief, but it's like, unless you can bring clients in and run your business, you can be the I best know. brief writer on the planet. You can write the best discovery requests. You can take the best steps, but you're going to be talking to an empty chair if you don't know how to get people in there. That, that to me was frustrating because my jam is just to sit down in front of a computer screen and just write and research and put together a term paper. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if you have no one hiring you to write it. Right. And that really goes back to my my tremendous fortune in being involved in really big cases early on has become the best source of free advertising. Because oh, yeah. in this small small-ish, small-ish community with huge employers, right? People remember. And even the, the news outlets, you know, when there is a, a story to be had, not on my case, but, you know, Walmart's ADA policy or whatever it might be, the news stations call me for comment just because they know that I do that area of law. And there aren't a lot of other people to talk to who they can call and in 15 minutes be in my office for an interview. So we have the famous Central Illinois media personality, Athena Herman, with this. Today. So Our podcast is going to explode now. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Athena, anything you'd like to plug? Well, I, I am hoping that uh, come springtime, I am going to be looking to hire a highly motivated passionate lawyer who wants to do civil rights work. And so if that sounds like anybody uh, who is interested in practicing in central Illinois, and that becomes my problem, is finding people who want to do this kind of work and who want to live in central Illinois. So that's what I'm looking for. There's a lot of there's a lot of work to go around, a lot of opportunities, low cost of living relative to the cities. I think in these times with a pandemic, I think that's a pretty good pitch. Athena, remind remind uh, our listeners how they can find you if they want to connect with you. Sure. I think the easiest way is I have a website, AthenaHermanLaw.com. I'm also on Facebook, although I do not engage in uh conversations, communications directly with anybody through either the website or the Facebook. I'm sure we all understand that. Uh, but I encourage anybody who wants to submit an inquiry or seek an appointment to uh, reach out through the website. Well, Athena, thank you so much for coming on a second time, giving us time on a Saturday morning when you could be doing literally anything else for sharing your expertise, for telling us your story, and just generally for your contributions to NILA, to fighting on behalf of workers in central Illinois and, um, and everything you do. Thank you so much. And I'd like to return uh, the, the, the thanks. I thank you both very much for this program and for all your contributions to me. It's deeply appreciated by myself and many others. That's kind of you to say. Thank you to everybody at home or wherever y'all are listening. Please subscribe and share. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.